complexity is a very corrosive force. You know, it uh, yeah, over time just makes it more and more difficult for people to cope. It forces you to put in place workarounds. There comes a time where you need to get back to basics. Graham Liebelt joined ANZ's board as an independent non-executive director in July 2013 with strong commitments to global trade and cooperation as well as community education. Liebelt recently sat down with Blue Notes managing editor Andrew Cornell to discuss the simplification of complex processing across industries, globalisation and the best ways to tackle change in roles. Hello, Graeme, and uh, thanks for joining Blue Notes for the latest in our Board Minutes series. Um, we've done a couple so far, and, and what's come through is very interesting diversity in the directors, the backgrounds. JT McFarlane was both a farmer and a financial services person. Alana Atlas has come through the legal profession. You're actually a manufacturer. Your, your background goes all the way back to Dulux Paints, uh, and in fact, you were the last chairman of Dulux before it was sold to Nippon. But um, your your background is is really chemicals manufacturing. Yes, yeah, since um, since the late 80s, that is very true. Before that, I studied economics at Adelaide University, and I lectured in economics for a while. But then uh, came to Melbourne on one of those deals where you say to your wife, "You'll come for two years and stay forever." You know. Yeah, joined the um, ICI Australia Group in late 80s, 1989 and um, stayed with Dulux for about eight years and then moved into ICI Australia itself at around the time it was being sold by ICI PLC and in the process of becoming Orica. So all up, I had, um, I had 23 years with the ICI Australia Orica group, the last six or seven of those as, as uh, CEO. So, you know, for a boy from Mount Gambia, Finding oneself as the CEO of a chemicals and explosives company seems an unlikely path, but it was very stimulating. So all those those huge craters and lakes around Mount Gambia, they weren't because you were practising with the dynamite in early days? <laughs> no, I think their origins are different to different that. Different to that. <laughs> Your industrial manufacturing background means that you have a particular skill set at a, a bank financial service. Is there a big difference? We often talk when we think about the share market of financials and industrials, but is, are they that different as corporate entities? There are lots of differences. You know, I've had a lot to learn to bring myself up to speed with the way in which a bank works and the complexities in a bank and the, the risk management processes, all that goes with it. But there are also some similarities. For example, quality of process matters as much in a bank as it matters in a manufacturing operation. My background has given me a lot of exposure to getting processes right, making sure that they deliver the required result, whether it be an outcome for a customer or whether it be a product. A lot of those uh, requirements are very similar. And indeed, in the, in the 90s, I think, there was a, an initial wave of financial services companies and banks learning from manufacturing. I remember Don Argus at National Australia Bank learning from Jack Nasser at Ford and he kept talking about unbundling and the supply chain. Are we going through another wave of that now where banks are stepping back and looking at how, whether it be digital companies or other companies, manage and are trying to do the same thing? I think in Australia the banking industry is going through a period in which it's had to acknowledge that some of the things... Uh, some of the processes put in place in the past have not worked as effectively as they should have. You know, the review of our product suite 
and the remediation that we're having to go through now has really forced us back to basics. Um, and a lot of those basics are about making sure that the processes that we put in place are robust and deliver quality outcomes every time. There's a lot to be learnt from manufacturing in that regard, you know, whether it be the techniques of lean manufacturing for efficiency purposes or the sort of total quality movement that was there for a while or the Six Sigma movement that have been um, applied inside manufacturing companies. A lot of those principles are very relevant here in the bank and now. And in essence, when Shane Elliott, um, ANZ CEO, talks about simplification, you know, and has been for three or four years now, that that's following those same principles, isn't it? If you manufacturers are always looking to simplify their processes. Simpler the processes, the simpler the suite of processes that you've got inside your company. Clearly, the better able you will be to deliver those quality outcomes every time. Complexity is a very corrosive force. You know, it uh, yeah, over time just makes it more and more difficult for people to cope. It forces you to put in place workarounds that uh, ultimately become like the wiring in a house, you know, where you've made so many adjustments you don't really know how it works. Um, and there comes a time where you need to get back to basics and just make sure that the, the um, simple processes are in place and working effectively. And when we look at your, your corporate career, a long period as, as chief executive, as a senior executive, and now on to boards, how do you make that transition and how do you balance, you know, being a CEO and then becoming a board member? And how does a board member then step away and think, well, I'm no longer an executive? When you move out of a chief executive role and into a non-executive director's role, you need to be very conscious of the, the change that's required of you. In the chief executive role, of course, there are decisions to be made which you make calls. There are very uh, formal uh, power structures and so on around all of that. When you get into a board situation, you're no longer managing things. You're trying to bring your experience and uh, wisdom to questions as part of that board team. And you need to be conscious of uh, the fact that you're not managing and that you are making a contribution in a different way. So when I left executive life and moved into a non-executive director's role, having had a lot of experience in boardrooms, um, I was very conscious of the need to change that style and hopefully I've been able to accomplish it. As a, a chairman and as a non-executive director, you've had, you've had an extremely eventful year. Obviously, it hasn't been slow here at ANZ, but more to the point, at Dulux, you know, where you started your career, Dulux has now been sold to Nippon, the Japanese paint company, and another one of your chairs, Amcor, has merged with a UK company is now listed on the New York Stock Exchange. So that balancing of your time, how do you manage that? That's, that's three very sort of complicated situations. Yeah, it's been an exciting and very busy year, actually. Um, so the work here at the bank is very intense, as everybody knows. Uh, we're all feeling that. You know, it's been one of those years where the bank has had many challenges and, and we've had to work through those, and we're still working through those. I've enjoyed it very much, by the way. It, it's all very tempting to say that it's been just a difficult year, but you know, facing the challenges that these issues confront us with has been uh, has been very interesting. And then those other two companies that you mentioned, Dulux, uh, during the course of the year, has been the subject of a takeover offer. That means getting various shareholder approvals and so on. And uh, so that's been busy. 
And Amcor has done a huge deal, a very complicated deal, actually stemming from last year and through into this year. So, yeah, I've been busy. I haven't had many, uh, many quiet days. And you mentioned in the in the coverage while these events were taking place that, particularly with Dulux, but also with Amcor, Dulux, a company you were with from from the start, you've had to hand over and step away, and it's now owned by a Japanese company. Mm-hmm. And you said there was a certain sort of element of sadness there, and and Amcor is now. You maintain it's an Australian company, but it's listed on the New York Stock Exchange. How do you remove that sentiment then when you're making these decisions? Look, I don't think any of us can remove the sentiment. I don't think we can be completely objective. However, uh, you know, when you're faced with these challenges, you have to recognise that you're balancing the, the requirements of different stakeholders. You try and weigh those up as best you can. In the case of the Dulux example, which you uh, mentioned, Andrew, the price coming to us from Nippon was very attractive to shareholders. We also formed the view that we were able to put together a a very decent agreement with the Nippon Paints Group. And Nippon has expressed a wish to keep most of the management team in place. So all in all, it seemed to deliver a good outcome for the various stakeholders involved. But there is that element of sadness. It's always... Even though Dulux has not been an independent company for much of its life, it was a subsidiary of ICI, which after all was overseas owned, but it was independent since 2010, and um, to lose that from the Australian Stock Exchange does carry a degree of sadness. And touching on on that, really, one of the the roles that you're focused on here at ANZ is is the idea of non-operational risk. Um, Mm. And we're very familiar, I suppose, at, at banks and in industrial companies with things like credit risk and market risk. But increasingly, this idea of non-operational risk is something that companies have to focus on. And that does cut across into sort of culture and sentiment and things. How do you think about that issue of, of you know, non-operational risk? Well, I should say at the beginning, uh, you know, we are a bank, and so we should never lose sight of the credit risk and other financial risks that we are managing. We need to manage, manage those well. But what's become more obvious recently is that the, our ability to deliver outcomes in, in all operational areas has been challenged. So we need to pay a lot more attention to non-operational risk because it runs to the reputation of the institutions and uh, ultimately, therefore, to the stability of the system. So APRA is very concerned about it, and of course ASIC and the government's concerned about it as well. Here in the bank, we need to just think about operational risk management systems. We're in the process of revising those. It's important that the organisation embraces those changes and uses these new systems as effectively as we possibly can in order to manage non-operational risk. We need to make sure that those systems are as effective as we can possibly make them. And it does run into the cultural questions that you mentioned as well. I think Shane is leading uh, a strong culture here in in the ANZ Bank. Uh, I think we've got a lot to be proud of in the way that we've handled ourselves over the past 12 to 24 months. And there is more change to be made, but I think we're on the right path. How we uh, entrench that culture, how we measure how how well we're doing on the cultural front and so on is is something that we're still working on and will continue to improve, but I think we're making good progress. And I suppose underlying that is a recognition that, that culture is not something you can set rules for and it's not something that you can regulate, yet it's something that's vitally important. And 
because it's it's difficult, it's intangible in in that sense. It sort of crosses over into the lives of our fellow employees here. Um, you know, social issues, and, and this has been a, a huge debate. You know, companies involved in social issues. So, how do you sort of manage the the boundaries of of where you can talk about a company culture and broader culture and broader social issues? Look, I think the main thing from the point of view of uh, any institution, including this bank, is just to make sure that we we lead for the right behaviours. That is to say that we want our people to do the right thing by customers and other stakeholders, and leadership is a key part of how we get people to behave in ways that that are acceptable to the organisation and acceptable to the, to the general public. I think it's as simple as that, actually. The talk about culture, whilst it might have a sense of being about belief systems and ultimately is about belief systems, I think in the short term, the things that are manageable are leadership for achieving the right behaviours. And that's what we're looking to achieve in the, in the, um, in the programs that we've got in place. Now, for someone from Mount Gambia who's lived um, most of their life now in Melbourne, you are a globalist. I mean, when you look at the, the companies, Amcor, Dulux, ICI, ANZ's in 34 markets, your career is, uh, your corporate career has been built around globalisation to an extent. But globalisation seems to be under threat, you know, whether it's from the Trump government, whether it's from populist governments. Do you still believe in globalisation, that we, you know, we should be international? Yeah, so there's sort of two aspects of globalisation that, that I'd like to highlight. One is the inevitable globalisation that just has to happen. I mean, uh, you can't think about a world with an internet without believing that there's going to be very substantial globalisation. From time to time, I'm sure there's going to be pushback as well, and we see that in relation to a number of the uh, social media companies presently. I think ultimately globalisation is an irresistible force. The other thing as an, an economist is that one of the most powerful forces for improving standards of living, lifting people out of poverty around the world, has just been the growth of international trade. And so I'm very unhappy, as you might imagine, about the impediments to trade being put in place in various places presently. I hope that's a very short-term phenomenon. But that growth of international trade really lifts everybody and I'd like to see those impediments removed as soon as I possibly can. So bottom line in answering your question is that I'm a, I'm a proponent of globalisation at both levels. And is that one of the attractions for you with ANZ, that it is an international bank? Originally it absolutely was one of the attractions. The uh, foray into Asia particularly which we've had to fine-tune, as everyone knows, but uh, that was uh, one of the attractions of joining the bank back in 2013. Having been with the bank for six years, of course, there's a whole range of other things that I'm now very attracted to about the ANZ Bank and what we're trying to achieve, and I've got to know the people, and I have become a, a loyal ANZ servant. Well, thanks very much for your time, Graham, for speaking with Blue. It's been a fascinating conversation, so thank you again. Thanks, Andrew. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Blue Notes. This podcast was produced by the Blue Notes editorial team with music by Kevin McLeod. Blue Notes is a publication of ANZ Banking Group.